podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about a topic that may be controversial, may involve some fighting a little bit, maybe not necessarily with me and Micah, who's back on our show today, but maybe between you screaming at me while you're listening to the podcast through uh, the interspace. But we're going to be talking about this um, kind of this unholy marriage between church and politics. It seems like especially recently within the last couple of years, we have really seen kind of a lot of evangelical leaders and evangelicalism as a whole being heavily involved in everything that has to do with uh, politics. Uh, So again, Micah Current is back on the podcast. So Micah, thank you for joining me for this uh, great topic we'll be discussing today. Well, thanks for having me. I feel like we have to have like a or we need uh, David Penzer's let's get ready to rumble to, to go into this conversation. But, you know, but I'll, before... I'll make sure I add a note to put like a sound effect. Let's get ready to rumble. Yes, exactly. I'll get, I'll get a violation. Like I'll get like a, a violation a for using it. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, uh, before we started recording, um, I talked to Scott a little bit about what we were going to talk about today. And I just, you know, I think it starts with having a conversation. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just glad to be back and, Let's let's go for it. All right. So, uh, Micah, kind of the first question, just to kind of kickstart this whole conversation, is being in the church, growing up in the church. Where have you seen uh, politics kind of invade the church space? As far as like seeing it, hearing about it, seeing it, hearing it, it's being exposed to it, like all the above. I think you know more recently it it it's it. The majority of that has to do that conversation has to do with with COVID nineteen, mm. um, and just uh, you know, we're all dealing with it in one way, shape, or form. You know, I don't care where you are, what country you're on, you know, what state you live in. We're all dealing with COVID nineteen in one way, shape, or form. And I think um, in 2020, we all had to like make a decision. What were we going to do? Were we going to wear masks? We're not going to get masks. Were we going to go to church? Were we going to stay home? Were we going to watch online? Were we going to try to do church with small groups, with small, you know, small, small amounts of people? Um, were we going to, um, you know, join a big church that was having services? You name it. One way, shape, or form, we've had to deal with COVID-19. And I think, um, you know, before we started recording, Scott, you you mentioned that you, you were very... Um, much a fan of, of history, United States history, mm-hmm. church history, world yeah. history, things like that. And like, it's kind of interesting that COVID-19 happened in 2020, which was the end of Donald Trump's uh, term as president. And then mm-hmm. Joe Biden came in, in 2021. Um, that was when COVID-19 started towards the end of his presidency and picked up where Biden took over. And it, it's just been, you know, it, it really just depends on who you ask, but I don't think you can go a day without talking about COVID-19. So COVID-19 and politics, I think, go hand in hand these days. And, you know, we're not here to like ruffle feathers, but like that's, <laughs> but the, the fact of the matter is that that's what that's what's going on in our world today. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, even with COVID-19, just because, you know, right when it hit, it was more of like being broadcast in the news. Your scientific community had an opinion. Your political leaders had an opinion. And your church your, community. And your church community had an opinion. And I think even when we look at someone like COVID-19 being more of a biological medical issue, very quickly it became a political issue. It could easily be pulled into a spiritual issue. It can. So it's, yeah. And kind of like what you said, like when it, that's kind of more recent, like of how we started to see more of politics and especially depending on your political affiliations, depending Mm -hmm. on where you live, if you live more in the inner city, if you live more in a suburbia, if you live more in a blue state or red state, um, how that influences you, either you're going to, you're going to have an opinion and probably even maybe a change within who you're going to vote for Senator or for the house of delegates or president or your own governor on how they handled the crisis, you know, everything kind of became political. And especially within the church, we kind of saw a lot of that be um, communicated, whether formally, maybe from the pulpit or from like a church bulletin, or maybe informally just from 
conversations out in the narthex before you went into service or just chatting with other christians on facebook or on twitter about certain things um you know when i think about kind of my exposure to politics in the church i'm going to go all the way back to probably when i started going back to church as a preteen teen and i can remember being a new christian and especially when it came time to usually it's, it's a presidential presidential um where we had to vote for president and i can remember going in and there and in, within the church narthex there'd be these flyers and handouts it sometimes they even be inside the church bulletin where it was like kind of like a voter's guide who should you vote for and you always had these check marks by these people and for me not really knowing about political affiliations whether they're um whether they're um democrat or republican i always had always had the assumption oh these are these are christians that are running for office um and as i got older it was usually never well we have this one person who may be a democrat and this other person who's becoming it usually was always one party and i believe it was turning point that would produce those materials and with cinema but that was kind of like my first exposure to seeing politics kind of going to church and even in that way it wasn't necessarily anything that i thought was very big or would cause disunity or fighting um at all but it definitely was something i really noticed specifically that those were there because you weren't hearing it from the pastor he wasn't going to tell you who to vote for who not to vote for so you had kind of this these voter guides to kind of tell you, well, here's here's a good options because here's what they believe on these statements. And we feel like these certain political statements or these political beliefs on feel like that they hit on Christian values. So we want you to vote for these candidates because this is where they side on things like abortion or things like um, immigration or or whatever the case may or. I don't know, taxes, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, so, yeah, I think from the earliest year, that was kind of my first exposure was probably about pre-teen where I started to see some of that in the church. Yeah. And I think I was going to answer that before. Like, I think with this episode, uh, you know, for your listeners, just to kind of forgive us as we kind of go back and forth between history and time frames of history. But like, I remember, you know, back to the COVID-19 conversation for a second, I think prior to covid I feel like for the most part, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to put a timestamp on this, Scott, but like, would you agree that like um, you had politics and you had churches and for the most part, churches stayed out of politics, but until COVID-19 and things happened towards our last presidential election, the churches were forced to like, not necessarily be politicians per se, but really have to like make decisions in regards to COVID make decisions in regards or make a statement in, in, in regards to race problems or um, race, racial tensions. Mm -hmm. uh, would you agree with that? Like the church has, you know, the church stayed out of it for a bit and then I, all of yeah. a sudden, boom, it's all, it's all we hear about. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I would, I would agree to that to an extent. I okay. would say it's more, I, th I would say probably within the last you know, three to five years, it's been more prevalent that we've had mm -hmm. these discussions and we've been seeing it more infiltrate into uh, the church body. However, I do see things like when you think about in May, where there's always that call to prayer. And it's, and it's like, you know, we're praying for our president, we're praying for our government leaders. So we, you have that in May, maybe you might have some of that during like election seasons. November. November. And then, you know, when you have like holidays, like 4th of July, and Labor even, even like, Day. especially since 2001, there's always at least the 9-11 service. Yeah. And sometimes people would kind of bring up more, not necessarily like politics, let's discuss politics things, but kind of that American ideology kind of gets woven into the Christian experience. But does but it, but Go ahead. But no, does no, it no, like, go, no, go ahead. But does that make sense? What I was trying to say, like, as yeah. far as like, you know, over the last couple of years, I'm piggybacking off of what you said, but over the last couple of years, like 
churches have really decided that they're going to take a stand one way or another on Mm -hmm. topics, whatever they are, COVID, racial tension, um, politics, you know, you name it, like churches, I think more so have been forced to either say, hey, we're going to be for this or against this. Is that fair to say over the last couple of years? Okay. And then like, as far as answering your other question, as far as like, when was like, so I kind of explained like what the more recent one, you mm-hmm. know, more, my more recent experience of politics in the, in the local church was, but if you, if you went back, you know, I'm in my thirties now, but if you could go back to like, I think it was 2004 when um, Bush was running for reelection and he ran against John Kerry. And at the time my dad was pastoring a church in Northeast Ohio, close to Pittsburgh. Mm. Um, and for you historians out there, uh, John Kerry has been in politics forever, but he's married to Teresa Hines, which Hines ketchup for all mm-hmm. you history buffs out there. <laughs> um, and so when we lived in Northeast Ohio, I was 45 minutes away from Pittsburgh. And so like we went to red or I'm sorry, um, pirates games and we went to penguins games, Steelers games, things like that, because it was close. And I just remember being in high school and that election was talked about a lot because of how close John Kerry's wife was because she's from Pittsburgh and she's obviously, you know, Heinz ketchup is a huge thing in, in Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh Steelers football stadium and Heinz field and, mm-hmm. you know, all these things. Right. And so I just remember being in high school and at church and that's all we heard about was politics. Right. And we heard about the upcoming election and it also didn't help. I mean, I, like this isn't a bad thing, but it like my uh, history teacher, my junior year of high school, he and his wife, his, uh, his name was Tony Kowaleski. He was my U.S. history teacher in high school. And his wife, Debbie Kowaleski, was the Spanish teacher in my high school. And they went to my dad's church. <laughs> so they literally <laughs> sat right behind me in church. And so, like, anytime I had a question, I would ask him because I respected his opinion. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Tony and Debbie Kowaleski. Um, they're just wonderful people. And I, I talk to Tony to this day about just history and politics, but like, I, I think that that's my earliest, you know, recollection of politics in the church. And it was just a small example of like, Hey, here's an election. And that kind of strikes close to home because of how close we were to Pittsburgh and the connection between John Kerry and his wife from Pittsburgh. Yeah. And that makes sense because it it would almost Mm -hmm. be like it when, like, especially like during the um, 2000, during the 2016 election, when you had, all these Republican candidates mm-hmm. and one of them was um, John Kasich and being from Ohio, it's like, Oh, used to be John the, Kasich. Like, Ooh, I know he used to be person. the governor, right? He used to be the guy. He was the, he was the governor of Ohio at that time when he was, yeah. and it was like, okay, like I like John Kasich. So, you know, for me, I was more interested because John Kasich, but you know, especially being in where, but at the time I was in Virginia, so we weren't hearing much, but I'm sure if I was, pastoring in Ohio, I probably would hear more because one of our, I guess one of our own who's affiliated is running for the highest office of presidency. So it's like, Ooh, let's, let's go talk about that. Um, funny story, funny story about that. My grandmother, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> love my grandmother. She, <laughs> I went to her house one day to check on her and it was right around the midterm elections to, you know, and it was that it was actually that year when John Kasich was running for president. And like, you're, I don't know if you remember Scott, but he had like a really prominent lead in Ohio to be like, mm-hmm. you know, a candidate, you know, a, a prominent candidate before they decided that Trump was going to be the Republican nominee. Yeah. And John Kasich had a good following. I think he was like third in line to like, it was like Trump and it was like, I don't know, Ted Cruz maybe. And probably. Yeah. And John Kasich. Anyway, I went to my grandma's house to check on her and she's like, did you vote in the primaries? And I'm like, grandma, why do you care? Vote for John Kasich. <laughs> I just remember <laughs> her saying that. And I'm like, Grandma, I don't know much about it. Go do it now. Like, she wanted me to get, drop everything that I was doing and go vote in the primaries to solidify John Kasich's run for president in 2016. So I thought that's, that was a funny side story. That's great. That's that's a great story. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's I, and I can remember being at Anderson. And I remember we had a, I was in a introduction to Christian ministries class and we took a trip to Chicago and uh, Fred Shively was my professor. So he took us out to Chicago. And I remember Sunday, the last day we were in Chicago, we went to church at a Catholic African-American church. 
And I remember that experience just being way different from my, um, way different from anything that I've ever experienced. And after we, after that service, we went and had lunch and we were discussing what we experienced. And I remember um, Dr. Shively kind of just said, you know, this is a church that more likely when it comes to voting for president, they're probably going to vote for a Democrat. And this was especially around the time when we started to see um, the first kind of running of Barack Obama being nominated as a Democrat to run for president. And, and more likely, Chicago, right? Yeah. And he's from Chicago. So, but he even said, you know, they're more likely they're going to vote Democrat. And especially they're probably going to vote African American if someone was running in politics because of just the culture of being in an inner city, the culture of being African-American, and even just kind of, even though it's rooted in a Catholic church, which is historically more, more kind of on a conservative thing. Like if you go to a Catholic church in Cleveland, where there's a bunch of Irish immigrants, they're probably going to vote more on a conservative thing where this Catholic church in Chicago is going to be voting more for a democratic um democratic uh party in policies so it was and again i think that was another first instance where i really started to take notice that how politics even though it wasn't as prominent in the church it had some hooks into the church and i think like you said when we got to 2016 and especially 2020 when covid hit we started to see a mass invasion of politics being kind of woven within church life, uh, not well, like with COVID, but even with politics and even elections and governor's races and everything else. And in 2008, like when Barack Obama, was 2008 Obama's first president yes. term? Mm -hmm. And then 2012, he won again. Yeah. Right. So like, it's crazy to think that even 2008, which is less than 20 years ago, that we had our first African-American president. Mm -hmm. And it was so radically different from what the United States was used to that I think that the U S was just ready to try something new. Not, and I'm saying like, it's crazy to think about that. It was that it took that long. Right. You know, does that make yeah. sense what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, so, so like, it was just, and you saying that, you know, Scott, that you were on a trip in Chicago and the fact that he was from there and like, he ran, he ran on like the slogan of change, right. The change mm -hmm. that we can believe in. And like, I feel like people really jumped on that that train because hey this is different right oh yeah and he will forever go down in history as the first african-american president so like it, it's that's a great thing like and nobody else can say that <laughs> yeah and and that was the and and, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because around 2000 it wasn't 2008 it was about 2009 2010 when i actually I'm trying to think of the timeline. Hold on. 2012. I do. So 2012 was when I got my first pastorate and I'm the pastor of a church in Northeast Ohio. Mm -hmm. And I can remember, and this is kind of like my, my last point on this question about how you've seen it invade the church, <laughs> because we could probably go on and on, but I can sure. remember this was when it was Barack Obama and Mitt Romney were running to be president. And I can remember there is this lady, older lady, we're sitting in Bible study on a Sunday morning and we're talking about, I think we're going through the book of Judges. And she kept, and every time we had a conversation about the Bible, she always had to turn something and talk about politics, why we're having a Bible study on Sunday. And there's a couple of times where I was in there as pastor and I said, oh, and we kind of go back to what we're talking about. Then there'd be other times I'd be preparing stuff or I'd be doing something for service and I wouldn't be in there. And I can remember my wife was in there and I wasn't in there. And she kind of told me, yeah, we're talking. Somehow it got political. And uh, this one, the same older woman goes, well, I'm going to vote for the Christian. And my wife said, yeah, I am too. But the funny thing is, is Mitt Romney's not Christian. He's Mormon. Yeah. <laughs> so, and yeah. But that's who she was talking to. And of course, you know, Laura, because again, from Barack Obama talking about him being a Christian, she's like, well, that's who I'm voting for because that's a Christian. It's like, wait which a is minute. Funny, which is funny because, uh, you know, 
the whole the old adage of politicians will tell you anything to get your vote. <laughs> like seriously, he well he ran as a Republican and now he's a Democrat. Yeah, right. He's now a Democrat or he's an independent. Or... I think Mitt Romney's an independent now. Okay. At one point, didn't he switch to Democrat and now he's an independent? Yeah, he did switch to Democrat. I think he's, so. He's I, been I all over check. the place. He's well, been all and, over the place. Well, and the funny thing is, it was almost like when he ran back in 2000 and, uh, 2008, because he was kind of running and people didn't want to pick him because he was Mormon. And I even yeah. heard people say, I'm not voting for Mitt Romney. I'll vote for John McCain because, you know, for the primaries, because John McCain is a Christian or that's the claim they make. I don't know if that was true or not, but then Mitt Romney, well, we don't want that Mormon in office. And it's like, yeah. and then all of a sudden he's the, he's the top. It's like, well, I'm voting for that guy. Cause he's a Christian. Like, wait, no, did you guys forget four years ago? He's Mormon. I don't think he made a commitment to, <laughs> to be a Christian from there, but yeah. But I mean, I started to see it. I felt like from being young as going back to church as a preteen to now as an adult, I have seen almost this slow, either it was a slow growth or it's just more, I'm more aware of it now, but I've really started to see how it has kind of invaded the church. And sometimes it can be very subtle, but depending on the season, depending on the day, depending on the week, it can really kind of ramp itself up and kind of almost in some ways take over what's happening in the church or even affects sometimes even the mission of the church or what the church is trying to communicate to the communities in which they serve. Um, so I want to go ahead and just kind of really look at how did this happen? You know, how did we see this takeover um, from politics infiltrating into the church? And I mean, I think we can go all the way back to, Emperor Constantine making Christianity the official religion of Rome. And I think that's kind of where we see that initial church and politics coming into play. And, and I mean, I'm not here to give a history lesson. I'm going to try to shoot through this real quick, but this was, I mean, but that was the thing. And there was this, um, and I'm not sure if the Latin, but there was always this adage, especially during this time of monarchy where whoever is the ruler it's their religion that ruled. So Christianity or especially Roman Catholic Christianity was the norm. And then once the Protestant Reformation happened, and now you started to have more Protestant Kings, especially you look at Henry VIII, who I uh, can't think of all his wives, but when he had his first divorce, uh, the Catholic church granted it. And then when he wanted to get a divorce again, they wouldn't grant it because he was, already got a divorce and he's Catholic. So he decided to convert to Protestantism and so he can get another divorce. <laughs> and yet we begin to see kind of this course. And especially when you get to um, Mary Tudor um, and even when you get to England and why the Puritans kind of left, you know, you started to see a lot of politics and religion kind of intertwined within over in kind of be in bed together and it caused a lot of destruction which is why you know we started to see a lot of anti-baptists come over to america we saw the puritans come over to america in a way to kind of create this city on the hill to kind of show hey we could be in a christian community without having the interference of government and kings and monarchy influence influencing the church i mean that's kind of why when we signed a declaration of independence, you know, the idea of this, I wouldn't say, you know, that everyone has the freedom of religion, that we shouldn't have religion be at least one person's religion, have influence over everybody who lives within America. And I think that's, I think for me, that's kind of good, but I think over time we start to see more and more of how, that line has been blurred. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, funny so, enough, funny yeah, enough before ahead, you go to your question, I just, I just, I Googled Mitt Romney because I was curious. Okay. And um, it's, <clears throat> this is a statement from Wikipedia for whoever feels about Wikipedia. It says in 2012, a Gallup poll surveyed Americans about their perceptions of presidential candidates and 45% of people perceived Mitt Romney to be conservative 29% as moderate and 12% as liberal with 14% having no opinion about his ideology. That's not confusing. No, <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but he, for the most part, has served as a Republican. He was a Republican governor. He's a Republican senator. And, you know, he was in Massachusetts and now he's in Utah. So, like, he's just been all over the political spectrum. So mm-hmm. go, go ahead with you. I feel better now that I've. That we cleared the air on Mitt <laughs> yes. Romney on what yes. is he? <laughs> and he's Mormon. He is Mormon. He is Mormon, not Christian. So, um, yeah. And so it's been interesting because even there's that moment. And I think maybe you remember this moment back in 2016 when uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. at Liberty University uh, proclaimed and ended up endorsing Donald Trump as president, which I know for a lot of people within the church, some people applauded, some people were very critical. Why is a Christian institution bringing this up, bringing this up or, or promoting a candidate, especially when you go back to the Johnson Amendment, where are you familiar with the Johnson Amendment, Micah? Refresh me. Okay, I'll refresh you. Basically, the Johnson Amendment is that no church can, no church or any type of religious organization can support a president or a, or a, or support a candidate for presidency or for um, a governmental office. Um, which, and I have to, I have to go search. When you talk, I'm going to have to look something up. But I do believe I heard that when Trump was president, he ended up. Um, annulling that amendment so Mm. that religious organizations can actually support a candidate, whether vocally from the pulpit or whatnot. I'm not sure about that. I heard it. I want to double check it and make sure that is actually true. Um, But one of the things that I found out recently, which I thought was fascinating, um, was there's this um, article in Political Magazine, which I'm trying to figure out the date, and I'll post the link in the show notes so then that you guys can kind of follow along. But um, it was actually May 27th of 2014. This was written by a Randall Balmer, and he was kind of looking more into kind of the origins of the religious right and how did they start up. And one of the things he kind of put is he kind of thought that back in like the 60s, like um, back in the late 60s, when you had Roe v. Wade um, and the topic of abortion and kind of this idea of was this kind of when we started to see Christians really get heavily involved in the political process. We started to see more of that kind of um, get ramped up. And actually from what um, what this writer found out is that actually, no, there was a lot of evangelicals who were um, actually in support of, of abortion. Um, probably the most shocking one named in quote was from um, uh, Jerry Falwell himself. Um, so that was kind of shocking. And actually there was a guy, his name was uh, Paul Weirich, who was a a political activist. He was a religious conservative and he was the co-finder of the Heritage Foundation. And kind of reading through this article, just to kind of sum it up, you know, he tried to get uh, Christians to be involved in politics. He tried to use everything from um, prayer in schools to try to get Christians into politics. And he couldn't get prominent Christians to be involved in politics. He did the abortion issues they couldn't. Uh, There's other issues he couldn't. And the one issue he was able to finally get a lot of Christians on board had to do with during um, it was during um, Nixon's administration, Nixon's a Republican. And there was a ruling. uh, I think it's green V green versus Connolly, where it had to do with um, tax exemptions for Institute educational institutions and religious institutions in regard to racial discrimination. And when that started to come out, that's when we started to see a lot more evangelicals participate in the political process, according to this article uh, by a Balmer. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And then the other article I saw, it's the most recent one from Christianity Today, where it's kind of a, a year reflective of the Capitol rights back in January 6 of 2021. Uh, where, uh, where, oh, I can't even think who wrote this. Hold on. Uh, the, I, it's Russell Moore. Russell yeah. Moore was the one who wrote it. Sorry. I could, his name escaped me and it came to me. But he was talking about how here we're seeing signs of Jesus saves during that and we're seeing gallows. We have people singing hymns 
Uh, people, or I saw one video with a guy who was there saying there are people who are singing praise songs to God, and over on there you're having people chanting that they want to hang uh, hang Mike Pence. Um, and there was something that was he wrote that I thought was very interesting in this article. Uh, Russell Moore writes, in some ways, what we have seen in the years since the insurrection represents a change. Note the increasing number of people who identify as evangelical, many of whom don't even attend church because they assume that this is the religious designation for their political movement. Um, so it's almost like kind of like what you said, where we saw COVID-19 um, kind of right in an election year at all. It's like COVID-19 in the election all kind of hit in 2020. And that's when we started to see more of an explosion of more prominent of kind of politics and religion kind of mixing uh, together. So what were some of your thoughts from a historical standpoint, or even I've sent you the links to these articles. So what were some of your thoughts about anything that I have said <laughs> to this point no. about how they, I mean, we're just trying to figure out like what's the history between politics and religion and how they got together. Um, did you ever see the movie Dante's Peak? It has been a long time. It's the volcano movie. Yes. With, right? um, with Pierce Bronson, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so he goes to the small town in Washington and, you know, they're like, you got nothing to worry about. You got nothing to worry about. The volcano is fine. And Pierce Brosnan is a, is a geologist and he goes up to do a survey and he's, there's like, there's something drastically wrong with this volcano. It's going to blow. And his crew didn't believe him. And, you know, long story short, the movie ends up with the volcano just destroying the town. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and it actually blows up. So <clears throat> in regards to, you know, I want to answer your question kind of in the micro and the macro. Mm -hmm. The macro being... I feel like none of this is new, right? Like, yes, we're seeing it more, you know, because we're getting older, Scott, you and I, and we're able to see it with our own eyes. Maybe we didn't see it as much when we were kids. Mm -hmm. um, and then the micro, I think that things like the Capitol, um, the thing that happened at the Capitol last year on January 6th was kind of a culmination, a Dante's peak, if you will, of like, mm -hmm people have reached their limit of government. Um, they've reached their limit of putting up with what is going on in our world. And um, it's just interesting to see the church being represented in that light. It's interesting to see the church being, you know, brought up. Cause like, you know, our, our listeners can't see, our article scott said that he would share yeah the, i'll put the, them in when we he when would, i post this there'll be links yeah. to all these so mm -hmm. for our listeners there's a there's a picture at the top of the, the article the capital um the capital attack article where a person's holding a sign that says jesus saves and it's in front of the capitol building and it's like you know like our mainstream media does an incredible job of just like this is what's going on today in our world but like unless it's really caught fire or if it's trending, you know, in our world via, you know, Facebook or TikTok or Instagram mm -hmm. or Twitter or social media of any sort, you know, there could be somebody holding a sign that says Jesus saves literally every day at the Supreme court building. Like, but we don't see it, you know, because it has nothing to do with the narrative of what's going on in the country. So mm -hmm. to answer your question in the micro sense, like I think that it was a perfect storm of what, what was going on in our country with, with COVID, what was going on in our country with the, uh, the presidential election between Biden and Trump at that point. Um, and as you were reading, Scott, I pulled up the first amendment and according to Google, it says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peacefully to assemble and petition the government for the for a redress of grievances. And so when I, I read that, I was thinking to myself, you know, we didn't talk about this Scott yet, but like, I'm thinking to myself, it feels like we're very much disconnected from our government. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah. And the, and the way and the reason that I say that is that like, you turn on the news, for example, and you see, see our Senate or our Congress, House of Representatives voting on a bill, or you see the president of the United States, whoever that may be, or the vice president of the United States, whoever that may be, getting up, addressing the nation. But you don't, other than voting for that individual to take that office, whatever it may be, whether you're a senator, a representative, 
Supreme Court justice, president, vice president, et cetera, um, you really have no connection to them other than voting them, you know, voting for them and in, in, in the hopes that they would get in office. Yeah. So go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was no, just no, saying no. like for like January 6th, for example, I feel like, like you said, it was the perfect storm and people had enough. So they went, they went to see the government, you know, <laughs> they went to go knock on the door of the government to see whether it was peaceful or not, or people were, you know, there was a lot of stuff that shouldn't have happened mm-hmm. regardless of the side that people sit on. But like, I think it, like, I think the only way I, that I feel comfortable addressing it is defining it as the perfect storm because people had enough. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think that's a very good picture and using the Dante Inferno analogy where, yeah. And the volcano just, (laughs) I mean, I think, I mean, and I think, you know, it's not necessarily because I think just anytime when there's an election season, it's always tense, tense. And I think even in the church, anytime when there's a election season, it's tense. Like when I was in Ohio, I felt a little bit of tension, but not too much. But man, when I came down here in Virginia, where I'm like three hours away from DC, mm-hmm. the, the intensity is magnified by 10. Like it was insane during election. Like I always hated, I think when my first, I think like when I came down here, when, yeah, 2016, that, that year of ministry was rough. Mm-hmm. Because it would seem like any time there was always people talking about politics or people fighting about politics on Facebook, people from my church, people who go and they're praising God and yet they're calling someone a bad name because they <laughs> because of yes. something. And I'm thinking, OK, this is new because I never experienced this when I was pastoring in Ohio in the 2012 election, except for, you know, I'm going to vote for the Christian, <laughs> which well, was the extent of it. Which was um, a Mormon, by the way. Um, which is a Mormon. Yeah, so it like, seemed like it was intense. Um, and something you said, it just seemed like people just kind of had enough and you just kind of saw that breaking point. Uh, to answer your question about the disconnect about us and what's happening within our government, I think that disconnect is twofold. I think there is not transparency between the government and the people. And I think when you have leaders, even if you just have your senators who you vote in, who are kind of like supposed to be representing your state or representing your district, um, when they're not communicating stuff to you, you're kind of like, okay, like what's going on? Um, At the same time, not everyone's going to turn on a C-SPAN and watch the entire I mean, I remember seeing that and it's like you could sit there and you could watch it and you watch the people debate and you can watch the vote and everything else and you can really heavily get involved. But your average American is not going to watch that and they're not going to know what's going on. They're only going to hear what the news says. And I think now we've gotten to a point where people just don't trust the news anymore. I mean, Mm -hmm. how many how many things have you seen on social media where it's like a chart an updated chart of media bias and it's like all these different news outlets and i think before i saw one recently and it was just so cluttered i couldn't i couldn't tell what was what where i could probably pull one back up from like 2008 one of those things and it was very clear like here's kind of your center ones here's kind of the ones on your side and and all the depth charts and you look at that and you're going goodness gracious like no wonder people feel such a disconnect. There's so many sources out there. And, well, and it's also on like what you're buying into, you can easily get swept away. It's also sketchy. I mean, I, I hate to use that word, but it just, regardless of how you feel, like the freedom of speech is very jaded as far as in, in respect to social media, because we're not just people, which we are, but we're an algorithm all of a sudden. So mm. regardless of how you feel, you know, dependent on, you know, if it fits the narrative or not, people don't see it. And that's been proven. Like there's yeah. a whole documentary on Netflix. What is it called? The social dilemma. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's, it's frightening to see, you know, how our lives are kind of being manipulated and controlled. If Like <laughs> Scott, do you like waffles? Do you like waffles? Yes. Right. So like, Hey, we're talking about waffles. And if I scroll on my Facebook later, I'm going to see an ad for waffle house or you, see you an ad for are. a waffle maker. But like, it's incredibly, <laughs> You know, shout out to waffles. No, it's just so 
crazy to think that that's what our lives have come to. And and like you said, Scott, like there are, you know, politicians, uh, pastors, leaders, like they're a lot of them are leaving the main, you know, the main uh, social media platforms because they they don't trust them. You know, I was watching an interview the other day with a senator. Um, uh, who was it? They said that they're leaving YouTube. I don't remember which senator it was, but they said they're leaving YouTube because they're tired of being censored for what they believe. Yeah. So whatever happened to the freedom of speech? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and kind of going in, you know, I mentioned a Johnson amendment. So here, here, here's kind of what it is. Um, yeah. Tax U S tax code, since it's part, it's a provision in the U S tax code from since 1954, that prohibits all 501 C three nonprofit organizations from endorsing or opposing political candidates. Um, Section 501c3 organizations are most common type of nonprofit organization in the United States, ranging from charitable foundations to university and churches. And obviously this was named by Senator, uh, then Senator Lyndon B. Johnson, who drafted the law. And then down at the bottom, they say that there's been some criticism and there's been um, repealing efforts from it. And then it says on May 4th, 2017, Trump signed an executive order to defend the freedom of religion and speech for the person for the purpose of easing the Johnson amendments restrictions. Uh, so um, I don't know. It's, I don't think he revoked it, but he eased some of the restrictions on it for charitable foundations, universities, churches to um, oppose, to endorse or oppose political. So they won't lose their 501 C three status. Um so that's kind of so taxes. Yeah, I didn't think we we're going to talk about taxes on this podcast, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, I and I think Scott too. Like you know, before we started recording this episode, I think we mentioned a lot of this has to do with location, too, mm-hmm. right? So like you and I are both pastors. We pastor to different churches in different locations all over this country, and you know, you've talked about your experience in Virginia being closer to Washington D.C. And there's been a lot of like current events that have happened within the last couple of years, especially in Virginia, whether it's a government or uh, I'm sorry, a governor race. Um, There were some issues with your school districts as far as um, the COVID-19 stuff. Mm -hmm. There was, um, you know, there was just a lot of political hotspots, if you will, in the state of Virginia. And with it being so close to, 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 to Washington, DC, you know, you're seeing firsthand what's going on because you're closer to it. Whereas if I'm living in, in Ohio, where I am in Southwest Ohio, I'm in like a, you know, a very like suburban rural community, community mm-hmm. like 45 minutes outside of downtown Cincinnati, the closer I get to the city, the more I see these things firsthand. But like here where I live, it's very much, yes, politics are talked about, but it's not like, does that make sense? Like, I'm not mm-hmm. seeing it firsthand like you are. And I, I think it depends on where you are. Um, even with the churches, we've been talking, we're talking ministry and politics specifically yeah. for this episode. But mm-hmm. I think, I think if you lived in Chicago or if you lived in Denver or if you lived in Nashville or if you lived in Los Angeles or New York City or Orlando, Florida, Atlanta, Georgia, like it's going to be different everywhere you go. Absolutely. Like, and, and I think it goes along with um, the same goes along with churches and politics. Like, my dad pastored, you know, small to mid-sized churches in very rural communities and not so much, you know, downtown, deep city kind of churches. And to be fair, a lot of churches, I would say, you know, unless you're a mega church, you know, like Elevation is a great example because they're in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um a lot of smaller churches aren't in the bigger cities, right? Like, is that fair to say? Like, you're not gonna, there's not a lot of small churches, like what we're used to is, is what we're calling rural churches in Mm -hmm. bigger environments, such as cities. So like, they're not seeing firsthand the political conversations unless they're bringing them to the church from like a great example would be if I'm living where I live and I go to church where I live, but I, I work in downtown Cincinnati and the closer you get to Cincinnati, it's a more of a, a liberal vibe. Mm-hmm. And so I may bring that conversation back to my church and back to the city where I live. Whereas the people that live here don't really share those views or understand that because they've never been in the city. Right. Yeah. Like, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah. does make sense. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And I think that's good. And, you know, I don't want to get too 
political. And, and I mean, I think that's kind of the hard part. Like even just doing it's a balance. Now, I feel well, yeah, we talked about balance in the worship episode. I think that's the hard part. There is a balance. And I can even remember, and this kind of goes into my next question, kind of my final question is, how do we navigate this? How, what do we do with this? And I can remember one time I made a statement years ago that Christians shouldn't be involved in the political process. And I got some heat thrown at me about that, uh, mainly because um, they say, well, no, we should, because obviously, you know, as Christians, if we believe in the kingdom and we believe in kind of the values of Jesus's teachings and what he stood for, then if there is, let's say, injustice happening in your community, then you should, you know, be involved in some sort of political process to uh, communicate things. I knew a buddy who he was so against church being in, uh, the church being involved in politics or even Christians being involved in politics. He never voted. He never voted in any election. And the only time he actually voted in an election was this past election in 2020. That's the first time he ever voted. And he's like in his late twenties. Mm-hmm. And it's just and it, 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 it's just interesting because, you know, what is the solution? Because I know for pastors, I know for some pastors, when the political hotspots, the political topics, or when it's starting to run rampant within their narthexes, within their sanctuaries, it's almost to a point where even when they try to navigate and say, well, here's god's word and here's what the word of god says and here's kind of the teaching and and how god and how god's people have handled this particular topic that we're dealing with it's almost like a pastor can say that and because it may not necessarily fit or align with a church member's political opinion there can be some dire consequences to the point where Pastors are resigning, burnout happens, or pastors are getting fired because they're preaching what they believe they're preaching the word of God, and yet it doesn't fit with the leadership or the congregations of political opinion. So what's kind of the solution, or what do we need to do to kind of change this course when we start seeing more of a political influence happening more in the church than necessarily the teachings of Jesus or the mission of the church? Um, two answers to that question, uh, <laughs> you know, and I was thinking about it and like, just like, honestly, to, to your listeners, I was kind of, to be honest, nervous about having this conversation and having it on, having it on a podcast, having it on tape, because you never know how somebody's going to feel and, or how somebody's going to say, and like, and mm-hmm. to be, to be honest with our, with the listeners today, like, I'm not saying one way or another and i don't think scott is i'm just saying like we need to have a conversation and something i said to scott before we started we hit the record button was um that's what democracy is and that's what our country was founded on is you know we need to we need to be more democratic in the way that we feel about democracy which is me to, to me democracy is defined as let's have a conversation you know we may have different opinions we may feel differently about certain topics or um things like that but like the beauty in is that beauty in that is that we can have conversations with one another and doing it in love, mm-hmm. which um, you know leads me to my two answers. Like I'm going to date myself a bit, but like remember in the late '90s, Scott, in the early 2000s, when the "What Would Jesus Do" bracelets were a huge thing. Oh, remember that? Oh right? yeah, I've had I, number, <clears throat> numerous "What Would Jesus Do" bracelets. <laughs> so, like that's my question: What would Jesus do? And like as you were talking and kind of prepping this question, you know, I looked up, you know, a verse and like something that I think that would kind of answer that question. Um, I think Paul says it really good in first Corinthians 16. It says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong, do everything in love to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labors in it. Mm. I'm glad when Stephanus and uh, I'm going to butcher this Fortunus and Acacius arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. And like, not even that whole verse, and I'm going to take it out of the context a little bit, but Paul says to be on your guard and stand firm in your faith, right? Mm -hmm. 
that verse to me doesn't say anything about politics, but it's like, you know, Jesus also said in the gospels, like there's going to be times of trouble and there's going to be times of sorrow and there's going to be times of, of hardship. And I think Paul's backing up the gospel here and saying, be on your guard because there's going to be times where we don't always agree on things and we don't always, and, and those things can include politics, right? And those things can, you know, and involve different ideologies and different conversations, but be in guard, be on guard and be on your guard and stand firm in your faith because Jesus is telling us to do that. And he's affirming that with us. Also in first Corinthians, it says, um, you know, even the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. So if we believe in Jesus and believe that Jesus is for us, then he's going to get us through the things that we are think are the, the most difficult in life. And, and a lot of those things that are difficult are political conversations, how yeah, we feel, absolutely. what we believe in. And if I could take it a step further, my other answer would be John 15, 12. My commandment in this is love each other as I have loved you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Love each other as I have loved you. And, you know, as I, I was at a coffee shop this morning and I was having a conversation with a pastor and um, a lay person came in from a church that I used to pastor at. And she was telling me a story about she was on her way to work and she got stuck behind a garbage bin picking up garbage, you know, for a living. And she felt like the Holy spirit was telling her to give, she had a gift card in her wallet and she felt like the Holy spirit was telling her to give this gift card to that garbage man. But she was late to work and she felt bad and she left and she called her husband and said, was I disobeying, disobeying God in that moment? And, you know, her husband replied, well, Jesus called us to love each other. And she was like, well, did I disobey God? And she's like, no, but I think if that opportunity arises that you should follow up on it. And so no kidding later that day, she was on her way home and guess what? She was following a garbage man and she was able to give, she stopped traffic, got out of her car and gave this gift card to this, this garbage man who she had no idea who it was, but the smile on his face, she told me was the most rewarding thing she could ever do. And if it's not the Holy spirit interceding on her behalf to remind her to do good, Mm-hmm. for people and love people regardless of who they are their background their creed their political affiliation for the context of this podcast i feel that you know we need to a be on guard stand firm in our faith and do everything in love and that means politics and so i don't know if that answers your question but like, yeah. i just i feel very passionate about the fact that like if you love it if you love each other and respect each other god is going to take care of the rest yeah. And, and, and to even kind of piggyback on the, the love thing, like, you know, if we are following Christ, if God is love and it, how I kind of view it is like, you know, if God is love and Jesus sent his son, if Jesus is, you know, the word, if he's the son of God, then being Christ, like I need to love too. And I need to be kind. And, you know, I always think there's been times where like, when people ask me, you know, what's like, I don't know, like for those of you who are not in ministry or those of you who may not be pastors, a lot of times when you're getting interviewed for a job, they'll always ask you the question, what do you think the biggest problem in the church today is? People. And, well, well, I, well, honestly, like I had a pastor that told me one time, he was like, the church would be great if it weren't for the people. And that's not a slam, but like yeah. they bring all of their burdens to the church and we as pastors have to facilitate and file through some of that stuff, that baggage, yeah. if you will. And, and one of the things I, I tell people, I say, well, I think the church has lost the art of rebuking well, mm-hmm. um, because even like, I, I mean, I was just looking up, you know, I was actually looking up Second Timothy, but then I saw a verse in Leviticus 19.17, which Leviticus. It says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall rebuke with your brother, lest you incur sin because of him. So kind of that idea of, you know, if you know, don't hate your brother because they may have a different political opinion. But if there's something you disagree with, have cordial conversation, especially if you see something that your fellow brother or sister in Christ is doing that may be necessarily may from their political perspective, they think is right. But from a kingdom perspective is the polar opposite. Then that's something you need to kind of do. And then I go back to second Timothy four, two, you know, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching and kind of going piggybacking off with your love comment, like as Christians supposed to love each other. But if we do see something that we may feel, Hey, 
I feel like that this isn't representing Christ. I don't feel like this is representing your a good Christian witness. Then there's two things I can do. I can go ahead and blast you on Facebook in front of all your friends and from or blast you in front of everybody within the sanctuary. Or I can just say, hey, you know, let me talk to you. You know, hey, I, I'm seeing this. I just want to know. Let's have a discussion and it just be very cordial. And the thing that I've always found out is when you approach a conversation, even a difficult conversation, even a conversation where you may have a disagreement with another person on a fundamental level, even if that regards politics, if you approach it in a way with gentleness and kindness and love, you're going to get a lot out of that conversation. You know, you may not win people over to your political beliefs so you may not win people over to your certain view or translation of the bible but at the same time you have approached it in such a way that breeds life and breeds love and continues to breed spiritual growth within the body of christ and i feel like with social media with kind of our turmoilous political culture that we're in now if you have a time where you're disagreeing with someone over whatever the case may be it's never going to be out of love and cordial the rebuke is never going to be kind and gentle it's going to be you know going in for the kill in some mm -hmm. cases yeah i i yeah i couldn't agree more i mean i just something that i you know i, I was had, like I said, this morning I was at a coffee shop and I was meeting with a pastor friend of mine and, you know, it just, it's all about loving people and it's all about um, meeting people where they are. And, you know, regardless of who you are, I think that, you know, Jesus loves you, you know, why can't I? So it's just, it's also very heartbreaking to see how far certain things go, you mm -hmm. know, in the political yeah. spectrum and you know it's it's like scott you said earlier on in this episode like it's, it's just a hard um fast line that we 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 draw when we run because um yeah i'll just leave it at that i just think it's it's, it's very no i mean it's just very difficult it's not easy and i feel like i mean would you agree that like you know kind of as we're winding down like I feel like the church and pastors specifically get put in the middle of all this, like, because you're the pastor, Scott, you have all the, all the magical answers of like, well, I don't feel this way about this political topic, but my friend over here in the church does. And what are you going to do about that? Like you're supposed to have all the magical answers. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think it's hard because even, even if someone does come to me and I do have the answer and not necessarily my opinion answer, but what I believe that the scripture speaks to this particular topic, there's a part of me that hesitates to give that answer because I know for a fact it's going to contradict with their political beliefs. Mm -hmm. And if I do that and I say, this is what the word of God says, you know, thus saith the Lord, you know, I could be like Jeremiah and I could have my hands and arms and in, in the gallows and i'm like and i'm like trying to fight my way and i'm and next thing you know i'm going to god going god why did you have me call me here to serve these people they are not listening <laughs> also scott did you ever think that you're going to quote leviticus in your podcast no <laughs> never in a million years i thought this podcast i want to quote leviticus <laughs> oh goodness so good. well mike uh Again, thank you for so much for being on the show. I definitely appreciate your uh, comments and your expertise and your wisdom. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, I feel like I got the hardest topic of all, but I'm glad to be here and I think willing to do it again. So like, I, I, I also believe that it starts with a conversation. And I think we just did. So thanks for having me. Yeah, not a problem. And guys, again, thank you so much for listening to the Scott Stemmon podcast. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you have not heard the news recently, I did set up a coffee account to, for you guys to help fund and support the um, future of this podcast. Again, been doing it since 2008. All the fundings come out of my pocket. So if you believe in the cop topics we're talking, if you believe in kind of the mission and what this podcast stands for, uh, just feel free to give anything. I mean, as low as $1.00. And there's also a couple incentives. You can go to 
ko-fi.com coffee ko-fi.com slash the scott stemman podcast there's a lot of incentives you can get a free t-shirt and even you can even be a guest to host on the show so look at all the incentives uh check it out it would be great uh but guys again thank you for listening and i'll have a new episode for you next week talk to you guys later 